Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. The Money Pit is brought to you by Click Studios. Now, here are Tom and Leslie. Coast to coast and floorboards to shingles, this is The Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we are here for you to give you help with your home improvement endeavors. Whatever's going on in your Money Pit, give us a call right now at 1-888-MONEY-PIT. Hey, do you want to make it more energy efficient, more comfortable, got a decor project in mind, thinking of picking up the paintbrush or redoing your kitchen? All great questions. Let's talk about it on today's show, 888-666-397. Coming up, speaking of kitchen design, you know, one of the questions you have to wrestle with when you're doing that project is the counter, counter material and counter height. We're going to have some tips on some design options for kitchen counters that you might find pretty interesting if that's a project on your to-do list. And also head this hour, if you're thinking about taking on a tiling project, you know, the most important part of that project isn't the tile. It's what goes under the tile to make sure that it lasts. Tommy Silva from This Old House is stopping by with tips on that project. And if painting is on your to-do list, the hardest part of the paint project is not the prep or the paint. It's picking the color, right? Well, we've got some cool ideas for helping you simplify that part of the project. But give us a call right now with your home improvement project question at 1-888-MONEYPIT. 888-666-3974. Gail in Ontario is on the line. How can we help you today? We just uh, had a, a high-efficiency energy uh, furnace and central air installed in our house, and I have uh, a ranch-style house crawl space. Um, it's all insulated. And they installed the furnace in the laundry room, and they've got the condensate pipes from the furnace and the central air uh, dripping into a bucket into the ground of the crawl space, uh, and there's limestone in the bucket. And we're at odds whether this is a good thing or not. So when you say it's dripping into a bucket, is this a um, a sump pump, like a sump pit, or is this just like a bucket on the ground of the crawl space? I mean, kind of describe it for me. Yeah, it's just a bucket with limestone in it. They cut a hole in uh, my plastic uh, that's uh, running along the bottom of the crawl space, and they've got the bucket over the where they cut it, and, uh, yeah, the pipe is just dripping into the bucket, going through the limestone and in the ground. You're basically just dumping the water under the underneath the vapor barrier. No, I don't think that's a very good idea at all. It's really sloppy. What you should be doing in this case is you should, or they should more, more accurately, have installed a condensate pump. Now, a condensate pump's a small pump and sits near the near the furnace and near the air handler. And then the moisture goes into that pump. And once it fills up, a float 
starts the pump up, and then pumps that condensate up through usually a clear plastic tube or a small pipe, and then outside. So you basically run it outside your house the same way you might discharge your gutter. Like, for example, in my house, I have a condensate pump that discharges into the same uh, splash block as my gutter downspout and takes that water outside. I don't like the idea at all of just dumping it into the crawl space soil, which is essentially what they're doing here. Yeah, I'll tell them that. Yeah, like I was, we were, it was really bothering us because we didn't think it was a good thing because I'm, I'm thinking all that water going under there, it's defeating the purpose of of insulating the crawl space. Yeah, no, your intuition is, is spot on, okay? So you, you call that Ontario Canada contractor back and get him to fix that, okay? And thank you so much for calling me. You're very welcome. Good luck with that project. All right, we've got Brad on the line. Brad, what can we do with you today at the Money Pit? I have a knee wall um, between our, in our bedroom upstairs. I'm planning out, uh, planning to box out the eaves. Now, the knee wall is currently insulated, and I was wondering if I box out the eaves, do I need to remove the insulation from that wall? Um, because obviously I'm going to insulate above the box under the back of the box, but do I need to remove the insulation from the wall? So this is the knee wall in the attic between the floor and the exterior? Yes. And the knee wall, it, yeah, it splits the, the eaves from the bedroom. Right. So the back of that wall is, 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 is technically an exterior wall. So yes, that should be insulated. If I box it out with uh, sheetrock and insulate on the, uh, on the outside of that sheetrock area, should I remove the insulation from the wall? Because that that wall is no longer now an exterior wall, or is it still an exterior wall? So when you say the the should you remove it from the wall? So this short wall is um, on the other side of that. You would basically be an unfinished attic space, correct? Yes, and if I finish it, yeah, right. You can't go wrong having insulation in that wall because basically once you get to the other side of that, you'd have the rafter bays, right? The roof rafters, and so the roof rafters don't have insulation in them. But then you have the ceiling joists below that, and they would have insulation in them. So that that adds to the exterior skin of of the home. So yes, you do need to insulate the back of that. Great. Okay, that, that's all I need to know. All right. Well, good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. You are tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show on air and online at moneypit.com. Hey, what'd you guys do for your big romantic Valentine's Day? Did you work on some sort of home improvement project as a special gift? Did you mess it up? If you did, <laughs> we're here to give you a hand. Give us a call, 888-MONEY-PIT. 888-666-3974. Up next, we're going to talk kitchen design. One of the many choices you'll have to make is what kind of countertop should you have. We're going to have some tips on those options after this. You live in a money pit. Did you know that Americans take 20,000 breaths a day and spend an average of 90% of their time indoors? That's right. And according to the EPA, the level of indoor air pollutants can be two to five times higher than outdoor air and occasionally more than a hundred times higher. Plus, every spring we get sucked with allergens too. Well, Air Doctor is an air purifier that filters out dangerous contaminants like pollen, pet dander, dust mites, and mold. Their Ultra HEPA filter has been independently tested to remove 99.99% of tested allergens, including bacteria and viruses. That's impressive. Now, Air Doctor also comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus the shipping. And they're offering a special discount to Money Pit listeners. Just head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT, and you'll receive up to $300 off air purifiers. Exclusive to podcast customers, you'll also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. 
Lock this special offer in right now by going to A-I-R-D-O-C-T-O-R-Pro.com and use promo code MONEYPIT. That's AirDoctorPro.com, promo code MONEYPIT. Today's Money Pit is presented by Isonine Spray Foam Insulation, an effective one-step insulation product that insulates, air seals, and reduces drafts that can save as much as 40% on your heating and cooling bills. Learn more about Isonine Spray Foam Insulation today by visiting Isonine.com. Making good homes better. Welcome back to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And Leslie, isn't this about the time when uh, when schools start taking their winter breaks? Oh, for sure. And we are looking forward to it. Everybody gets like a week off. Yeah, well, you know what else winter break means? <laughs> Plumbing disasters, right? <laughs> you're, oh, for sure. When you're away. I, you know... A lot of people go away this time, and I don't think they take the proper precautions or any of the steps necessary to make sure that the house stays well. Yeah, so very simple thing to do there is to turn off your main water valve if you're going away for a, an extended vacation or, frankly, even a long weekend. Because if your main water valve is off and you do get a pipe that freezes and breaks or just leaks for some other reason, you know, all the water that's going to come out of that is only what's in the pipe. You're not going to have this, you know, complete gusher to come back to where maybe your whole lower level is flooded with water. So turn the main water valve off before you take your winter break. I think the other thing to keep in mind, guys, is while you're out of town, other people may be noticing you're out of town. So make sure you cancel your newspaper, have somebody bring your packages inside, have some lighting on different timers, even put a TV or two on timers. If it looks like the house is busy, the chances of somebody, you know, taking over your home while you're away are very less likely than they would be. We're going to get busy right now with some answers to your questions at one eight 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 money pit Mayor in New Jersey, you've got the money pit. How can we help you today? Moved into a house about a year ago. It was built in 2007, and all the windows, they sand the windows and they're sand windows, I don't know which type they are, and all the windows only open very little until they get stuck. And a lot of them, if you try to open it, it gets so stuck that I can't even close it. Well, I'll tell you what, the fact that you have Anderson windows tells me that I seriously doubt there's anything wrong with the window itself. I suspect what happened here, Mayor, is there's a problem with the installation. And if the jams, which is the side pieces that the windows slide up and down on, if they were installed wrong so that there's pressure pushing them inward, that can cause the condition that you're describing. I'll tell you one way that that often happens. Sometimes uh, installers will use a spray foam insulation, like the kind that's polyurethane that expands and gets really, really hard. Something as simple as that can bend those jams in and make it hard to open the windows. But I think what you've got here is definitely an insulation problem and not a problem with that window. So to try to get to the bottom of it, you're going to have to probably open up the trim on that window from either the outside or the inside to to make sure the window was installed correctly. If it's if it's too tight in that opening, or if there's insulation pressing on it, or if there are shims there that were um, put in too aggressively and bent those jams inward, that would cause the condition that you're ex- that you're describing. I mean, the good news is that an Anderson window is a very good window, so that's why I suspect this has nothing to do with the window and has more to do with the way they were. Installed. Okay. Thank you very much. All right, Meyer. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Naomi in Florida's on the line with a question about solar panels. How can we help you today? Well, um, I was wondering if I should uh, uh, change the shingles, uh, get new shingles before I put the panels on. Um, we've had them about 10 years now, and um, 
I didn't know where to replace them first or just go ahead and put the uh, solar panels up there. And will it be saving a lot of energy for electric, you know? Okay, well, to the first question, if your roof is, you know, if your roof's going to need to be replaced in the next few years, I'd probably replace it before I put the solar array on there. Um, if you think you got another 10, 15 years out of that roof based on its condition and, uh, you know, you might want to have, have it inspected by someone independent of a roofer, by the way, because a roofer is always going to tell you a new roof, but you could have it inspected by somebody you trust. And if it seems like it's, it's going to be durable enough, then sure, sure go ahead and, and put the solar panels on top of that. Now, in terms of whether or not the solar panels are going to help you save money or not, I mean, there's a lot of ends to that economic question. Depends on whether you're buying them or you're renting them, how long you have them. You know, are you leasing them from the solar company? There's a lot of different economic factors. I would just say that there's too many for me to sort out for you on the radio, but to look very carefully at what the expense is of having these installed and look at the different options because there's as many ways to get solar on your home today um, as you can imagine. So just proceed carefully, you know, work with somebody who maybe has had a good history of doing this for your neighbors and, and demand that they give you references and then do something that most people don't do actually call those references. And I know it can be uncomfortable to call people you don't know, but do it call and say, listen, I'm Naomi, and I got your name from this uh, solar company. They listed you as a reference. I'm just wondering what your experience has been, and ask questions like, how long have you had the system? Have you noticed the savings in your energy bill? Um, did they do any damage to the property? What was it like working with them? Did they show up on time? Did they keep their appointments? Did you have any repairs that were necessary after it was installed? You know, ask those tough questions, and I'll tell you, if you do that carefully, you know, the, the cream's going to rise to the top, and you're going to find the right company to do this project with. Okay. Thank you very much. Good luck. Thanks so much for calling us at 888 Money Pit. Well, if you're thinking about a kitchen remodeling project for your home, one of the many decisions that you're going to have to make has to do with the countertops and specifically countertop height. You're probably thinking, wait, you can decide that? Yes, you can decide that. So here are a couple of tips to help, and they're presented by ClickStudios.com. First of all, the standard countertop height is 36 inches, but building in a range of comfortable working heights really does make a lot of sense. For example, you can include a surface that's 28 to 32 inches high because that'll be a great area for your kids to work, and it really gives your kids the opportunity to help at a comfortable height. It's also more comfortable for chopping and prepping, and it really could work out well for you. Now, another good option that you'll appreciate over the life of your kitchen is a sit-down workstation. Who says you have to stand up to work in the kitchen, right? You can make a sit-down spaces about 30 inches wide and about 27 inches high, and that will give you really comfortable access for the kitchen chair or even a wheelchair if you ever get disabled in the future, or perhaps you have someone uh, that has a limitation in your family right now. That's a good height for that. And finally, I think multiple countertop heights kind of look cool, Leslie. I mean, they give it like a very sort of unique look because there's just not one continuous flat surface. What do you think? It really does make for an interesting kitchen space. The other thing that I find works so well with these multi-level sort of different heights of countertops is different counter materials as well. You know, it's another thing to keep in mind. If you have a standalone island, maybe with um, a bi-level surface or a different height there, you can go with a different countertop completely. And that, with the range of different heights of the counters, really does make for a 
well-designed and interesting kitchen. And today's kitchen design tip has been presented by Click Studios. If you'd like more design ideas just like this, head to clickstudios.com slash free and download the kitchen cabinet design guide, which was written by none other than the editors at This Old House. It's full of fantastic design ideas, and it's really going to help you understand cabinet construction, features, and styles, as well as what to look for when you're comparing cabinetry brands. It's available free at clickstudios.com slash free. That's clickstudios.com slash free. And while you're there, you can also sign up for their free, no obligation cabinet design service. Again, that's at clickstudios.com slash free. And click is spelled C-L-I-Q studios with an S, C-L-I-Q studios.com slash free. Scott and George is on the line with a question about an attic fan. How can we help you today? Well, I have a, uh, a house that has a ridge vent in it. And the temperature in the attic gets to be somewhere around 115 to 120 degrees during the summer, which and it gets pretty warm. So uh, to help uh, with some of the, I guess, the insulation and uh, I guess some of the, the heating, uh, the heat up there in the attic, I want to put in maybe a attic ventilator to help assist with the removal of some of that heat, you know, more airflow up there. But my concern is if I do that with a ridge vent, am I going to be pulling air from the outside in through the ridge vent into the attic, only to be evacuated again by the power ventilator. And generally, you're going to, I mean, that's exactly what's going to happen. And then you'll be also pulling, you know, whatever conditioned air from whatever leaks or spaces you have within the house into the attic space and then back out. So you're kind of not achieving what you want to achieve there. However, you've got the ridge vent. Do you have soffit vents in play at your house? Soffit, yes, I do. I do have soffits, yes. And they're not blocked by any insulation or? No, I, I've checked. I, I've checked most of that. And some of the, some of the areas um, I had to push the insulation down just to be sure there was a clear path. So I would say overall probably uh, maybe 90, 95% of it is uh, unobstructed. It sounds like you're doing the right things. How, when was your house built, Scott? How old is it? The house is about 10 years old. Now, it sits out and there's no trees, there's no shade or anything in the area. And, of course, South Georgia in the summers we get, you know, 100, 110 degrees. So. Because the thing is, even though it's getting hot in that attic space, I mean, it is at ambient temperature, so that's kind of you're not going to get it much cooler than that. If you've got unobstructed soffit vents, you've got good soffit ventilation on both sides of the house, you have a really good ridge vent. Now, sometimes I see ridge vents that are not very open. They're like, especially the kind that I see that are corrugated looking like. They don't let enough air out. So, I mean, it might be worth looking at the type of ridge vent that you have. Uh, the certain teed ridge vents, the, the company's called AirVent or the brand's called AirVent. I think it's AirVent.com. You'll see that they have these metal ridge vents that have like a, a folded edge on one side of it. That actually depressurizes the ridge and makes it more efficient in terms of pulling air out of it. So you may not be getting as much air out of that ridge vent as you would like to. Um, do you have gable vents on the end walls as well? Yes, actually, I do. So that, if the ridge vent and the soffit vent are set up correctly, you actually don't need those gable vents. They actually can tend to make that structure inefficient because it kind of messes with the airflow. So I would look at the ridge vent that I have and make sure I'm getting plenty plenty of, of air that is exhausting out of that. But as Leslie said, putting an attic fan next to that is going to be like a dog chasing its tail. You know, you're not really going to be very efficient and it, it could pull up air conditioned air from your house and actually raise the cooling bill. Okay. I, that was my concern. I, I was just kind of thinking about that in my head and going, gee whiz, would that ever happen? But um, okay, because I've seen some houses around here that look like yeah, they have a they have an attic ventilator, but then they also looks like maybe at least part of the roof or a section of the roof has a ridge vent. So yeah, well, I mean, there's a lot of people that just do that because they don't know what else to do. But but the problem with attic fans is that 
you know, your house has all types of little gaps in it that connect the attic to the inside. Think about, you know, the framed wall and the outlet, for example. I mean, that's an opening, right? And if your attic is depressurized, it's going to want to suck air up from anywhere I can find. And that's going to include the conditioned air, that expensive, comfortable conditioned air that's inside your house. That's why passive ventilation is always a better option. Okay. Okay. So probably a certainty. Uh, would be a good brand or a good good type of ridge vent. Yeah, take a look at airvent.com and look at the one that's called a multi-pitch filter vent. It's a metal vent, ridge vent that sits on top of your roof and it has an airfoil to the side of it. And I know that that airfoil speeds up the depressurization and makes it much more effective. Okay, so a, a multi-vent, okay. It's called a multi-pitch filter vent and it's in the ridge vent section. It's okay, I'll do that, good. All right, thanks so much for calling the Money Pit. Hey, if your home has tiled bathroom walls and floors, letting the water get behind those surfaces can lead to a host of rot and mold problems. We're going to have tips on how to make tiles watertight next. Hi, I'm Kevin O'Connor, host of This Old House on PBS. From floorboards to shingles, you're tuned to the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show with Tom and Leslie. On the Money Pit Radio Show, pick up the telephone, fix up your home sweet home by calling Everyone should know that drinking water is important to staying hydrated and healthy. Having safe, clean water is the last thing you want to worry about, but unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants right in its tap water. That's why we are thrilled to be working with AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers use a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process, and their countertop purifiers work with no installation or plumbing. It removes 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and is specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAs in your water supply. And they have water purifiers to fit every type of home, from installation-free countertop purifiers to higher-capacity under-sink options. They even have a Wi-Fi-connected purifier and mineral boost options. And its proprietary purification technology is independently tested by IATMO to NSF and ANSI standards to remove over 80 of the most harmful contaminants, including chlorine, fluoride, arsenic, PFAs known as forever chemicals, nitrate, and many more. I can truly taste the difference when I compare it with my old water filter. AquaTrue saves you money also. Just one set of filters from their classic purifier makes the equivalent of 4,500 bottles of water. That's less than three cents a bottle. Plus, you'll save the environment from tons of plastic waste. AquaTrue comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee and even makes a great gift. And today, Money Pit listeners can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier. Just go to aquatrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter code MONEYPIT at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue water purifier when you go to aquatrue.com and use promo code M-O-N-E-Y-P-I-T. Money Pit. The Money Pit is presented by Home Advisor. Find trusted home improvement pros for any project at homeadvisor.com. Making good homes better, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. 
And hey, if you are lucky enough to be enjoying these final weeks of winter, perhaps in front of a roaring fire, there is a super easy way to get that fire started, and it's all natural if you know where to look. Just pick up some pine cones, dry them out, and they make for a great natural fire starter for your fireplace or your wood stove. And if you're feeling super creative, you can also dip them in wax before you use them, and that helps keep the fire going and fills your home with a pleasant scent. Renovating a bathroom is a great way to update the look, function, and feel of the space. Now, some gorgeous tiles can really take a blah bath and make it an outstanding room in your home. Good point, but the key to making sure tiles last is making sure the surfaces are waterproof. And any water getting behind those tiles can not only cause your new tile project to fall apart, it can also lead to mold and mildew and decay. Here to tell us how to make sure those tiles are watertight is Tom Silva, the general contractor on this old house. Welcome, Tommy. Well, thank you. It's always a pleasure to be here. And the name of the game is water tightness. You want to make sure that water does not get behind those tiles. I think people forget that the tiles are not the waterproof part of that installation. Water is the enemy. Yeah. Water is the enemy. Water <laughs> yes. will definitely permeate the joints of the tile. In some, some cases, it will go through the tile. Yeah, but you need water when you're bathing. So yeah. this, we've got to solve I've this problem. That. You know, I've heard that. Yeah. So let's start then uh, in the shower. If you're building those tile walls, how do we make sure we keep those watertight? Well, uh, you got to think about the, the the backer board that you're using. Uh, a lot of people think that if they use a cement board, that's waterproof. Well, it isn't. You have to put a membrane over that, whether it's a trowel on type or a, or a type that almost like wallpapering the wall. I, I like that that type there where you take first you have to do is cut the pieces to fit your size first and they don't have to be exact they can have a little gap on each corner but the first thing you want to do after your pieces are cut is wet the wall down with a sponge so that you can then apply a dry set mortar over that board you cover the entire wall with it wet then you take a trowel a v-notch trowel usually a 16th inch v-notched and then you scrape the trowel over the mastic, and then you have a V-notch that you can now lay the membrane on. Once you lay the membrane on, you have to make sure that it's flat. So you take a flat part of the trowel, and you work it in, taking all the bubbles off, bring it in tight to the corner. So that V-notch trowel is key because that actually gives you the grooves in the surface to be able to get good adhesion good of the adhesion. membrane to the wall. Exactly. Got it. Now you got to put your next layer on. You want to make sure that your joints are overlapped by a couple of inches, and you want to make sure that the mastic or the adhesive, the dry set mortar, goes down onto that sheet so that they glue each sheet to the sheet on that joint along with the wall. Once it's on the wall and everything's flat and you've got your corners that are, have a little bit of a crack in it, there's a strip that you buy that comes with the kit and you can now put your mastic into the corner and then you put your, just like taping joint compound, you're only going to use this, uh, this spun uh, uh, fabric that is basically waterproof. You put it right over the corner, then you work it all the bubbles out, make it flat, and then put your floor on once you've done all that, you tape all the corners, inside corner, outside corners, whatever. They have all these little uh, little uh, pieces of tape that will form to just about anything you want. So the work is getting ready for the tile. It's not the tile part it's of it itself. It's always all in the prep. Yeah, it's always like anything. If you don't do the right prep work, the finished product's not going to last. Now, because there's so many layers of these different membranes and different layers of mastic, are you allowing each sort of step of the process to dry or cure before you then put whatever adhesive over the membrane? 
well, yeah, you want the mastic underneath the, the dry set mortar. It goes on. It's kind of loose. You got because you got to work this stuff like wallpaper. Mm-hmm. You put it on. You don't have to be that fussy with it as as you do with wallpaper because you're not lining up a pattern. Right. Wallpaper's fussy. Yeah, and that this is not that fussy. It's pretty user friendly. Uh, you want it to be flat. You don't want to have any air gaps under it, and you want to make sure that it's tight. You don't want to let it dry overnight before you put your tile on. Actually, once it is dry, you can actually use the shower without any tile. It's waterproof. That could be the way I get around renovating my one bathroom house. There you go. And you <laughs> will it's not, have. It's not actually a bathroom unless it's tiled, oh right? God. If you like the orangey walls, they'll, they'll look great. Exactly. <laughs> We're talking to Tom Silva from TV's This Old House. So, Tommy, you've explained the right way to tile a shower or, or a bath. Um, let's talk about what I would consider the wrong way, and that is with green board. Incredibly common material. I wish it was never invented because it doesn't seem to last at all, but we see a lot of it. We see a lot of it because people think it's waterproof. It's not waterproof. It's water resistant. If you're going to use green board you th- and you want to feel good about it, put it in the part of the bathroom that's not the shower. Would you use it like a kitchen backsplash even maybe? You could. But it's really not any need to do it. I mean, uh, you could put it behind the stove, for example. Um, but it, if you're using the membrane that I said, or I just talked about, you can put that wallboard in a shower. It will keep the, the drywall, the moisture board, from getting wet. Yeah, period. good good point. It's, it's, it's water-resistant drywall. It's not waterproof drywall. Right. They do board. make a waterproof drywall, but it's usually used on the exterior of buildings. It's yellow in color, and it's five-eighths of an inch thick, very heavy. Now, let's talk about that membrane. Is that also something that you would use on a floor, say, perhaps not in a bathroom? Would you use it because it gives tile more stability in parts of the house? They have a product that will give the, the tile more stability, and it actually you trowel it right on, and you, you go over that, and it keeps the tile areas more stable. There's less chance of cracking. Um, Similar application? So more applications, yeah. Yeah, all right. That's great. Now, what about the shower pan or the bottom of the shower stall? You know, for decades upon decades, that was always a lead pan. It's not much lead shower pans out there Lead, anymore. copper, even galvanized. Galvanized yeah. will rot. We, we, when people want a mud job, true mud job, right. we'll put in a copper pan. Copper pan. And then the key is, is the copper pan should have a little bit of a pitch to it also so that if the tile should ever, ever weep or leak, over, say, years later, you don't want the water to lay in that pan. So I like to pitch the pan using uh, shingles around the perimeter and lay the pan on that. But they, with this uh, system that I'm talking about, they actually make a tapered foam shower pan that basically lays on the floor. You don't need anything under it except the adhesive. A bigger notch trowel, you push it right in, and then you go over that with the membrane to waterproof it. Great advice. Tom Silva from TV's This Old House, thank you so much for stopping by the Money Pit. Always a pleasure. Catch the current season of This Old House and Ask This Old House on PBS. For local listings and step-by-step videos of many common home improvement projects, visit thisoldhouse.com. And Ask This Old House is brought to you on PBS by Gorilla Glue for the toughest jobs on planet Earth. Up next, if you have a hard time picking out colors when it comes to choosing paint, we've got a super easy tip that'll help after this. You live in a body pit. Body pit. 
where home solutions live. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. And we would love to talk with you about your home improvement project. So look around the house. We know there's something, maybe more than one thing, on your to-do list. And if it's not on yours, perhaps it's on the to-do list of your significant others. Wouldn't it be nice if you helped out by picking up the phone and calling us for the answer as to how to get that job done? We'll give you some ideas to get it done once, get it done right, and then you won't have to deal with it for a very long time. The number again is one eight 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 Money Pit. Well, when it comes to painting, for some, the hardest part of the project isn't the prep or even the painting. You know what it is? It's picking colors. If that's you, we've got a tip for a really easy way to get the color just right. Oh, for sure. I would say the first thing that people say to me, even if they don't recognize me from my TV shows or they just know that I work in this genre of work, the first thing is, can you help me pick a paint color for whatever it is that I'm working on? Sure. You know, paint is such a strongly personal preference, and I can suggest colors that I think would work well with the space, but your opinion and my opinion could vary greatly. So I think it's very important for people to understand that there's a couple of things that you need to work off of within your space in choosing those colors. Maybe it's a print in a pillow. Maybe it's a small fabric, you know, a small print in that fabric that you can pull a color out of or a color out of a rug pattern, something like that, or even a contrasting color to, you know, your sofa fabric. There's all these different things that you can work off of to select a color. But once you kind of land in the color palette that you're searching through, forget about those little color chips that you see at the home center or the hardware store. It's really impossible to envision what that's going to look like in your entire space. And paint colors in the store are affected by the lights in the store. And of course, even the lighting in your own home. It's really just too small of a sample to know how it's going to work on your walls. So instead, narrow down your color choices. You know, you can work off of those small chips, but then kind of determine maybe three, four colors. Try not to overwhelm yourself with too many options. And then you can actually buy a sample of each. You know, some of the home centers will even sell like a couple of ounces, a very tiny one. You don't even have to go up to a quart, but you can, you know, that's a $9 investment a quart. But some of them will sell small little few ounce sample jars. Then paint a two foot square on your wall in your home in the room you want to work on and put them near each other, you know, all the different colors you're looking on. And then watch those colors over the next few days. I mean, you're going to see that as the daylight transitions into nighttime and the lighting comes on in your rooms, you're going to see those paint colors really do take on a life of their own and you'll see that they'll change how they look throughout the day. That will help you make a better choice without painting an entire room and then being very surprised when that gray you picked looks beautifully gray in the morning, but then in the evening takes on a lavender issue, which is awesome. If you know it's coming. So just if that take was the part time. Of the plan. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you knew it was going to happen and you're okay with that. So, you know, really just take the time, invest in some more samples, and then you'll really be thrilled. Good advice. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. Give us a call right now for some advice on your next home improvement project. Terry in Ohio's on the line and dealing with a stinky hot water smell. Terry, does it smell like rotten eggs? It's only happening in one bathroom. My husband replaced our electric hot water here two years ago with a, a gas and actually has been happening almost since that switch occurred but the smell is only in the upstairs bathroom and so I don't know why we're getting the smell we've put bleach down in uh, the tank and tried to clean out the tank but we continue to get the smell back when you say the tank you're putting bleach in the water heater itself it's very diluted just a little bit yeah okay well 
um, a couple of things. First of all, if the water smells throughout the entire house, then that's usually caused by a problem with the anode rod in the water heater itself. But since it's only two years old, I'm thinking that that's probably not the case. It's more likely a problem with biogas, and that could simply be something in the drain in that particular bathroom that's causing this issue, because you'll get these microbes that will grow inside the drain, and they can really smell terribly. So what you need to do in a case like that is to the best thing to do is to take the drain apart if you can get under the sink and take it apart and clean it really thoroughly in another sink somewhere and get a like a bottle brush down there and scrub it with a good strong bleach solution or you can use some oxygenated bleach even better yet and that will kill those microbes that are there and then once you put it back together I want you to fill the sink up to the point where you have that water goes down the overflow which is usually built into the sink body and make sure you put some put some bleach in the hot water too so that it will slowly trickle down that overflow for a bit of a time. So this way, if there's any um, any uh, organic matter in that overflow, it'll also be eliminated. So I suspect it's in the drain as opposed to being a problem with the water heater. Because if it was a problem with the water heater, every single sink would smell the same way. That's kind of what I figured, but we couldn't figure it out. So um, I thought I listen to you guys every Saturday, so I thought I'd give you a call. Yeah, well, you know, it's hard because it doesn't. It only happens to you know sometimes to you once a lifetime, but we we hear about this all the time. So it's a pretty good idea where to look for the problem. Okay. Oh, great! I appreciate your help. You got it. Good luck with that project. Thanks so much for calling us at eight 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 Money Pit. Well, frost on the outside of your windows is a cheery sign of winter. Frost on the inside, however, isn't quite as welcome. We're going to explain why that happens and what you can do about it next. Making good homes better, this is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Hey, in the new year, are you guys working on a big project? Well, it might be such a big project that you're wondering where you're going to start to need the advice of an architect, or is it just better to play along directly with the builder? You know, that's a great question, and it's one we hear a lot, because it is tempting just to work just with the builder on everything, including the design. But my personal preference is always to use a separate design professional. Here's why. I'd rather hash out all of the issues about my project, all the materials I'm going to choose, whether or not we're going to move walls, add windows, add doors, hash all of that out with a design professional. And then once I'm really satisfied with the design, then and only then would I go to try to hire a builder or a remodeler because this way the contractors are all going to be bidding apples to apples because the design is pretty much locked down. If you work directly just with one remodeler or with one builder, you make changes. It's kind of hard to stop that project creep which can add expenses to the job. And sometimes you can ask for something and they go, sure, but you don't know it just added 10 grand to the to the project. That kind of thing can all be avoided if you work with a design professional up front. So I, I think sometimes people are hesitant to spend a little money on that, but I do think it's a terrific idea. I mean, it's the best investment that you can make towards your projects. The other thing is, is that while builders will know things about codes and permits, an architect is really going to know about what your village or your town or your municipality, whatever it is, demands. And there could be variances. There could be certain paperwork that needs to be applied for that a builder might not know about. And then you could end up in a heap of trouble. 
So it just makes more sense to go with a pro, an architect who knows your area where you live in, so they know really how to build, how to deal with the building department. And that's going to save you a ton of time and a ton of headache throughout the whole process. Absolutely. All right, let's get to the post that came into our blog this week. First up from Alan in Pennsylvania. All right, Alan writes, my replacement windows are about 10 years old. I notice that they freeze or frost up about a half an inch on the bottom of the top window. Every year, the area seems to get a little bit bigger. Is there a moisture problem or a window problem or no problem at all? Boy, I tell you what, frost on the outside of your window is really nice and pleasant and a cheery sign of the season. But inside, it's trouble with your windows. As you've discovered, Alan, the reason this is happening is because the windows and probably the thermal panes have lost all of their insulating ability. And so what's going on is that the window is so cold that the warm, moist air that naturally accumulates inside your house is condensing on that glass, probably dripping down and then turning to icicles at the bottom. And there's not an easy fix for this. I mean, you do need new windows. That's pretty clear because if this is happening, you know, you're also losing a lot of energy. I mean, that's just one small sign of the fact that these things are not efficient. And if that's going on in that one window, I mean, I'm sure the other windows are not too far behind. So this may be a project you're going to have to think about taking on in the coming year. And you know what? You don't have to do the whole house at once with replacement windows. You can do, say, one side a year or a couple sides of the house of the year and just kind of get it done over the next few years. You know, and I think we're still in a time frame where, well, not for this, not for last year's taxes, but what you can do is you can determine if there are any sort of incentives that would give you the benefit of having a more energy efficient window, maybe even some rebates. You know, there's some steps that you can take to look and see what's being offered in your area and find out the right paperwork and find out the windows that would go along with that. And that would help you determine if, you know, what you get back from the government at the end of next year's fiscal year would work out well for you. And you know what? Alan may not even know how uncomfortable he is right now because he's used to the temperature, he's used to the energy bills. And once it's fixed, you know, it's going to be a much more comfortable house. Good point. This is the Money Pit Home Improvement Radio Show. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us. We hope we've given you some tips and advice and ideas that will inspire your next home improvement project. We've got great resources online at moneypit.com where you can also subscribe to the Money Pits podcast. I'm Tom Kreitler. And I'm Leslie Segretti. Remember, you can do it yourself. But you don't have to do it alone. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.